Hi everyone, I'm Scott Brown and before we dive into today's lessons I learned in law, I just wanted to tell you about our friends over at Beamery. Beamery is a real game changer in the world of talent management, so HR and talent teams should definitely take note. It is trusted the likes of Accenture, McKinsey, AstraZeneca and Uber to name a few. Now this is a great piece of recruitment technology which is an AI-powered talent platform that will enable you to hire candidates faster, develop the skills of your existing workforce and increase employee retention. With Beamery you'll have a complete understanding of your workforce's skills and capabilities and it's all about building an agile and future-proof team. So check it out, head over to their website at beamery.com. Hi and welcome to Lessons I Learned in Law with me, Scott Brown, founder of Harriet Brown In-House Legal Recruitment. I'm an ex-lawyer turned legal recruitment specialist. I took a few wrong turns in my own legal career, but I'm now in a privileged position to have daily conversations with some of the top legal minds in the in-house legal community. And I wanted to share some of those conversations. And this was the reason for launching the podcast. I wanted to provide some inspiration and insights to lawyers or aspiring lawyers to learn from people that are at the top of their game. On each episode, I sit down and have an honest and open conversation with people from across the legal community to understand what influences shape their careers and, of course, to learn some of the lessons that they learned along the way. Um, I've had a bit of a mid-series hiatus um, from recording, um, but back in the thick of it today, I have had COVID actually over the last couple of weeks, all recovered now and out of of isolation. Um, And just to give you an idea of when we're recording, England have just uh, breezed through into the semi-finals of the Euros at the weekend. So it feels a little bit like football's coming home, but um, the less I say about that, I think the the better. I don't want to alienate any uh, any English fans out there. But I'm delighted today to be joined by Rachel Carolan. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Scott. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And Rachel's currently General Counsel and Director of Policy at London-based technology company What Three Words. What Three Words, you'll have seen advertised a lot uh, recently on, on TV and around um, around cities. Um, the company has developed a universal addressing system that can, that can assign a precise location to anywhere in the world with just three words. Rachel was What Three Words first lawyer and was responsible for setting up and growing the legal function. She qualified at Herbert Smith and moved in-house on qualification to Accenture and then spent time at two of London's hottest startups, Go Cardless and Deliveroo. She recently announced on, on LinkedIn that she's moving on to, to pastures new and a new challenge away from What Three Words, so I'm sure we'll be keen to, to learn more about this later on. But welcome to the podcast, Rachel. It's great to have you. Thanks, Scott. So if you've listened to to previous episodes, you know that I like to start with a few episodes about each guest and some that you might not be aware of. So Rachel, um, Rachel tells me she lived in Hong Kong, Argentina and in the US for a brief period of time. Um, And if it wasn't for uh, health conditions, she, she may well have qualified as a lawyer in Hong Kong rather than in the UK. Secondly, she was she's got an adventurous side, um, and last week she uh, was in a hot air balloon over the Mendips. And she thinks that if she was a teenager during the the COVID pandemic, her predicted grades would have been fairly fairly bad reading. Uh, so. <laughs> 
keen to hear a bit more about that later. But we're going to start start the episode just to to learn more about your your life and career via the lessons that you've learned in law, Rachel. So if you could jump in and, and tell me your first first lesson. Absolutely. So uh, lesson number one would be um, to create your own path um, rather than try to to shoehorn yourself into a traditional one. Talk me through your career then and where you feel that that's been the, the case in your own your own career path. Absolutely. So um, in my case, it started off along the, the traditional route. So um, qualified um, at Herbert Smith Freehills um, and very much felt like a black sheep when it came to handing in your applications for, for which department you wanted to qualify into, because mine was a very flat I'm out of here, <laughs> um, and I'm and I'm off to to move into a into a business. Um, although at that point I was I was looking around and I was I was interviewing. I was certainly interviewing at Accenture, but um, at the time I hadn't yet had an offer from them. But I was just sort of set on on qualifying elsewhere. And I think at the time that really wasn't the done thing to do. I think it was a big surprise um, to to everyone I'd worked with, certainly to my supervisors. Um, and it very much, I very much made me feel like a bit of a rebel, to be honest. Although, albeit yeah. looking back now, I think that's become more and more common these days, and it's perhaps sort of less of a black sheep thing to do. But certainly at the time, um, that really was not the done thing to do. And I actually didn't have many examples to look to mm. of uh, to other people of that had done a similar thing and and crafted their own role from from qualification onwards. Yeah, I think I think traditional advice anyway that I've seen from recruiters is do your three, five years black letter law Absolutely. in a law firm. And if you want to move in house, that's that's generally regarded as the time to do it. Or uh, I think, like you said, traditionally has been has been the case. But how did you know that that was what you wanted to do? Oh, I'm sure there were a few different things. So, I mean, number one, I did a secondment while I was at Herbert Smith in uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, which again is not like anything I've moved into now. I certainly haven't gone to an investment bank. Very different from from being in tech, but nevertheless, um, when I was there, um, my my supervisor at Merrill Lynch gave me a much longer longer leash, so to speak, than mm. than the one I was on at, at Herbert Smith and. You know, I'm sure, relatively speaking, that the, the value of deals that I was working on in comparison to her were were very low, uh, given sort of how junior I was. But I I felt like I was almost thrown in at the deep end with with that qualification in terms of I was working sort of hand in hand with the business and and working directly with with clients on negotiating high level deals, which I felt like I was someone who learnt best by doing rather than rather than shadowing and I'd always felt like that um and I certainly also felt with my career that for whatever reason I, I felt like I was on an, an upward treadmill I, I wasn't sort of settling for for doing things at a set pace I wanted to sort of take the ball by the horns and and really just carve my own way way quickly um so I think it's it's a mixture of those two things but equally I'd always had a strong passion and interest in in tech and felt that I would satisfy that interest area more if I was to work, as I say, sort of hand in hand with with people that were working in that area and, and that weren't necessarily lawyers. Yeah, I understand. And what got you into law if, if, with that interest in, in tech that you had? In terms of what got me into law, honestly, there's no there's no sexy answer to that one. I think um, <laughs> I, 
I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do, I think. And I think it was it was one of those careers where if you were good in certain areas, it was sort of the the career to consider. Um, and I'd certainly sort of progressed in in subjects that perhaps made you a better fit for law, albeit I don't subscribe that there are certain subjects that would make you a better lawyer um, anymore. And I, I did a degree in law and, um, sort of didn't, didn't think as much as I perhaps should have in terms of other careers at that time. Um, so went, went for that sort of initial training period and decided actually I can do this, but maybe not in the traditional route of spending sort of three years post qualification at a law firm. I can definitely make a career out of this that I will readily enjoy, but I'll do it my way. That's good. Yeah. Good to, good to pioneer in that way and have the confidence to, to do it and go out and, and back yourself to move into the areas that you enjoy. How much thought went into that I enjoy these areas? I'm going to, that's what, that's what I'm going to pursue. I certainly always knew that the areas that I enjoyed the most were the areas where I was interacting directly with both sort of counterparts on, on big deals. So it's other companies, but also where I was helping teams and, and business people get things done. Um, I, I was never someone that enjoyed sort of more of a back office role that was was thinking about something and, and, and doing research for long periods of time, but not actually ever really applying that to anything or or sort of interfacing with people on a day to day basis. So I thought a long time about that and, and what sort of career and certainly what sort of business would would suit me the most to, to take forward those interest areas. And I feel like my my moves since then have, have definitely um, taken all of that into account. Did you ever consider at that point not being in the law, moving away from a legal a legal role? Absolutely, absolutely did. Um, and you know, I think perhaps later on in in my career, you know, potentially there is scope for me to to move into uh, perhaps a completely non legal role. Um, but I'm I'm very much enjoying it at the moment, um, and certainly I think the the roles that I've taken in house. Um, and we can perhaps go on to discuss it a bit more. It's it's never strictly a legal role that you're doing. It's it's always something a bit more that you're you're adding at the same time. So mm. that's definitely given me a lot back in terms of sort of both my career progression, but also just general interests. Yeah, we'll come on to that a little bit later on. You mentioned supervisors maybe raising an eyebrow on on that. What was the what was their reaction when you when you told them you weren't sticking around in <laughs> private practice? I think the first question is why and and also what are you going to do? Um, I certainly remember those being the, the top two questions. Um, and I think eyebrows again were raised when I, I said, I'm not entirely sure at this point in time, but I definitely yeah. have a general idea of, of where I'll move to. It just mm. hasn't been confirmed yet. So I honestly think people thought I was sort of just jumping off a cliff in terms of my my career yeah. trajectory um but it all worked out for for the best thankfully yeah got to put yourself put yourself out of that comfort zone um rather than following the the beaten track um yeah i, I remember as a as a lawyer mys- myself thinking of myself as a senior associate and not, and not really not really loving what I was seeing so so yeah I think it's a brave decision to make um but but yeah you've got to follow follow your passion and I, I think too many people stick around for the sake of it uh because it's because Absolutely. it's a done thing 
or for the paycheck if it's and, and then that's something that you can get too used to as well uh, in in private practice but um, that's another that's another story I guess moving on to your second lesson could you share that with us please the second lesson is it, it's possible to add value as an in-house legal counsel beyond strictly your traditional legal role tell me a bit more about that where did you first learn this so i think for for me what i what i noticed um after a while of being an in-house counsel is that quite often it's those that are in the sales team that are, that are bringing in the money that are, that are getting the obvious recognition and that's of course extremely important like i, I wouldn't have a job if it if it wasn't for the sales team um but i think it's important for for everyone to to have recognition it's certainly a depressing thought to be sort of constantly churning out work and and doing it at a very high standard for for no one to to recognize that but the problem i saw with with being an in-house lawyer is that sometimes it's it's really difficult for people unless they are in the legal team to really recognize sort of the the value that you are bringing in the work that you're doing so so certainly it, it's not the done thing for someone to walk up to your desk and say you know, thank God, Rachel, we, we didn't break any laws in China last week. Um, <laughs> thanks for spending, you know, a month thinking about how we launched into China and not break any laws. Or, you know, the ICO isn't investigating us this month. Well done for, for being on top of all of the, the global privacy laws. Like that just doesn't happen. No. So I think for, for me, what I noticed that was when I, when I was advising the business, when I was sort of stepping beyond just the strict legal role, that brought both more recognition, but also it, it broadened my role. And it was useful for me in terms of um, career trajectory and career progression. So, for example, I see myself more as sort of head of problem solving almost. So when someone comes to me, it's it's generally one of two things either something's gone wrong or or they need to do something and and they're asking me like how do we do it so i'm not going to come to them and just say okay well the law says xyz go away and you know work it out now i'm i'm going to do that part make sure that we're on top of that but also think more broadly about the best way we go about delivering on that thing that the business wants to deliver on and and quite often um, that will go beyond just the strictly legals. And, and and when you do that, I think you you elevate your position within within a business, um, and you and you bring more to the business as well. And and you're more closely aligned with with also what's going on mm-hmm. in, in the business at the same time. Yeah, it's good, and it's a certain type of organisation as well that has that has that approach, but also the the individual. What advice would you give to someone, an in-house lawyer who's maybe feels trapped in doing business as usual work? How could you elevate yourself to giving non-legal advice or or being that problem solver? That's a really good question. Um, I think, first of all, you have to really understand the business inside and out. Um, You really have to understand... uh, (laughs) What are the key drivers for the business right now? Like, where are we currently at and where are we heading and what are our main challenges? And then also tailor that to your stakeholder that you're talking to on any given project. So, you know, if you're talking to the head of product, they'll have very specific KPIs and and challenges that they need to deliver on this year. And I think it's all about 
when you're talking to them about that specific project that you're advising on? Can you think of any areas that you can actually pick out and say, well, how about we think about this aspect to it as well? Or have you thought about this as well? And, and really tailor that both to what does the business need to achieve this year, but also what are the specific challenges and things that are on this stakeholder's mind? Mm-hmm. Um, and also just be creative, just just think outside the box a little bit. I definitely think there's there's scope for that. Yeah, good advice. But just uh, just a little pause from the from the lessons. Let's go back to the facts that we mentioned earlier on that, that people might not know. But it sounds like you've you've travelled a lot, had maybe itchy feet in the past, and lived in some pretty cool places. But Hong Kong clearly had a bit of a an impact on you. If you, you felt you might have qualified there, what was what was it about Hong Kong that appealed so much? Uh, Absolutely. Um, So I studied in Hong Kong uh, for a year when I was at university, had the best time of my life, um, but but actually visited with family just just before that as well um, and applied to the University of Hong Kong alongside all of my my UK universities. And I actually got an offer, but I remember the the lecture, the main lecturer, basically one of the head lecturers in the University of Hong Kong saying to me, you should probably go to Warwick if you've got an offer from Warwick. And I think that's just strictly because they were thinking, okay, you probably want to be an English qualified lawyer one day. And it's, you know, it's, it was a well-rated university in, in, in Hong Kong. So I definitely um, sort of took that advice on board, but equally looked to where I was potentially going to go in the UK and could see that if I worked really hard in my first year, I could do a bit of both. So I could Mm. get a UK law degree, but equally do that, that year in Hong Kong. Um, so there was definitely a time where I was considering just just going out there and doing my whole degree in Hong Kong. That didn't play out just due to sort of life events, but um, that was almost on the table for me. And there are definitely sort of times where I look back and think, mm, should, should I maybe have done that? Because um, it's definitely a very very special place to me. Nice. I've I've never I've never been I've never been, but um, travelled through it. Uh, stop and stop and reload. But but yeah, heard, I'm heard sure some it's, amazing it's, it's changed a lot now. I go back yeah. quite a lot. Not not recently, obviously, just due to to various things. But it's certainly changed a lot um, yeah. from from when I was there. But it's an amazing place. We had someone working with us last year, a law student that was that was helping us out, Harry Brown, and um, she had started the year studying an exchange year in in Hong Kong. But I think there was I think pre COVID there was all the riots yeah. going on and then then covid um forced her to relocate back to the cut cut the year short and be back in europe but wow. um but yeah also said some some pretty amazing things but um, and argentina what were you what was, what was your time <laughs> like there um so i was there to study spanish actually um but i I, I didn't spend so much time sp- studying Spanish in the end. I spent most of my time, I think, making friends and, and drinking red wine. And I, I have zero regrets about that, actually. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that was the aim. And it ended up, as I say, just being sort of and a, br- a brilliant time tasting wine. It sounds pretty good. Time well spent. <laughs> um, red wine and, and steak. Uh, exactly. I think in Argentina, exactly. well well priced. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the one of the previous guests. Randall Randall Barker he's worked mm. in a number of overseas jurisdictions as a as an in-house lawyer thinks that law's a great career for travel would you would you Amazing. agree with that well I haven't experienced that myself personally I think I've got a couple of ties to the UK currently um but I've definitely um you know had the good fortune of of traveling with my 
my job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've definitely been posted to to various entities that that we we have abroad. So I did that actually quite a lot more with with delivery previously, mm-hmm. um, and certainly been involved with with expanding to different jurisdictions and and hiring in house teams within those different jurisdictions. Um, I've also got an Australian in my team currently. Um, so I can definitely see how you can travel with the law. Um, and maybe one day I'll experience that sort of first time myself as well. And the hot air, the hot air balloon last week. How was, how was that? That was incredible. I don't know if you've ever done that, Scott, but, um, I've never. yeah, <laughs> it was on my bucket list for a while. And, uh, my partner, Emily knew that it was, I think, cause we just moved to, to Bristol and there's a lot of hot air balloons around in, in Bristol and, um, I mentioned that it had been on my bucket list for a while and um she said it wasn't on hers because she's got a fear of heights. Yeah. Um but <laughs> she actually surprised me with it and and did very well herself actually because it was a very small basket in the end so yeah. it was sort of right off on the edge but um she really enjoyed it in the end as well so it was it was great. Good. So proper open basket. Yeah. Cartoon picture style. God. Yes. Yeah, yeah, a very, very I'm... small one. And, and sort of the pilot was mentioning that we, we can't go into um, an electricity pylon. Otherwise, we'd be dead, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was fun, <laughs> nevertheless. Yeah, great. No, I'm I'm pretty terrified of heights, actually. I'm not, not great with oh, heights. No. I don't know okay, if maybe I'd... not for you. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I've frozen on on cliff edges a few times. In the oh past. no! Um, yeah, not, not the best, <laughs> best, best avoided. On to lesson number three. What's your third lesson? Uh, so, third lesson is in a B two C company, uh, try to make legal part of the brand identity, and also be very careful what your legals say. You've you've clearly worked in quite a few or a couple of consumer focused businesses. How have you gone about doing that then, making it making it part of the brand? Um, so I think this is a lesson that that really came to the forefront for me um, at Deliveroo actually specifically, and I think that was because we we found ourselves in a position where some of our contracts ended up in the press, um, and they actually ended up in the press. I think you know, within my first month of joining the company. So um, it was a real eye opener for me that, you know, something which on the surface, you think no one's going to bother to read this. This is this is all quite boring, um, can actually end up being a, a great news story. So so ever since then, um, I've made, made a real effort to think through, okay, what angle to this is press worthy? Um, and, and equally, who are we as a business? What, what are our values and, and how are we reflecting that in our contracts and in our T's and C's? Um, you know, I think it's, it's really natural as a lawyer to just go full belt and braces and just, you know, make your T's and C's as strong as you possibly can, throw in stuff that you'll never think of, of ever using just, just for the sake of it. And actually, I think that really poorly reflects on your brand um, when, when someone does pick that apart. And I think in, in today's world, that's, that's very much driven by social media. So, you know, a few tweets can, can end up in a, in a headline. I think it's, it's more important than ever to, to be looking at, at what your legal terms say and making sure that's actually reflective of, of who you are as a company. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, under the under the microscope on all on all levels and businesses like that. Um, Absolutely. Has it been something? Is that something that's also filtered through it? Uh, what three words? Definitely has. Um, so in in both good and bad ways. So we've had uh, a lot of compliments about our privacy policy. Um, right. So we've <laughs> we've had people complimenting us on on how well written it is and and how it puts them at ease, but. But equally, um, fairly recently, I would say, um, sort of an action that I had to take in in defending RIP ended up in in a TechCrunch article, um, which was another surprise actually. Um, so that was that was a new one. I didn't expect that to to end up in the headlines, but it, but it did. Um, thankfully, it was it was the right decision for us to make in terms of. It, it was legally the right decision and there, there were various sort of drivers at play which which weren't picked up in the article but again it was just another eye-opener for me that that something you think is going to go unnoticed yeah. won't always yeah no bad publicity i suppose sometimes <laughs> exactly. we hope <laughs> That's great. Um, so just just moving on, we spoke earlier about your announcement on LinkedIn um, mm. the other the other day. You're, you're you're leaving. What three words? Yes. So um, I've I've been at what three words three, three and a half years. Had the great fortune of of building up an amazing legal team, um, one that I think is perfectly capable of of carrying things on post post me leaving and. You know, I've been involved with with so many things. It's, it's been a real roller coaster, and I'm I'm leaving it in in a really great place. Um, and I'm on to to a new challenge in in health tech. So so that will be a new area for me, um, and one that will I'm sure be an amazing learning experience. Yeah, different different sector, but yeah, consumer consumer focused business in that sense as well. Um, mm-hmm. And and you're you're hiring or what three words are hiring your replacement. So we'll um we'll share the we'll share the link um when we're posting when this goes out. I think that will still be still be going live. But your profile is 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 a, a general counsel within the technology space. Um are there any resources that have helped you along the way to get there that you would recommend people looking at? Absolutely. Um so for me, network I think is is key. Um, so, so building up a, a strong network. One of the ways you can you can start that is to to attend tech events in in London. I mean, it's obviously difficult d- during COVID, but but hopefully um, in the next couple of months we'll, we'll start to see more and more networking events. I think also, you know, following the general tech press, so, so getting to know what businesses are out there, um, what they're doing, what what moves they're making. I'd also say on top of that tools like Crunchbase will give you a great idea of, you know, which companies potentially that are based outside of the UK are thinking about expanding into the UK and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Good tools for, for seeing what's going on and having an interest, having having an interest in the space, I think is critical. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. That that just about brings us to the end of the, the episode. But thanks for thanks for taking the time to, to join me today and walking us through your lessons. It's been been great to sit down and, and chat with you. Thanks so much, Scott. Really enjoyed it. Great and good luck in the good luck in the new role and um, and bringing things to a close at what three words. I'm sure you've left it in, in great hands. Thank you. Certainly hope so. 
thank you for listening to to lessons i learned in law and um, if there's a subject or someone that you'd like to hear more about or more from on the podcast please get in touch you can contact us at hello at harrietbrown.com or connect or drop me a message on linkedin if you've enjoyed listening please rate review and subscribe to the podcast but until next time thank you